This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, There Are No Enemies, Second Edition, A Practical Philosophy of Life. And the author is Dr. Mary Anita Mann, and Dr. Mann joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Dr. Mann. Hello, how are you? Well, this is going to be a great discussion. Uh, We're going to go all the way back to Aristotle and his science of being altogether. uh, This book, as you put it, is is a philosophy of life. And you also say this book encourages people to take hold of their own life and know that in however small a way, because of the primacy and significance of human conscience, they can make a difference and make the world a better place for themselves, their children, and their grandchildren. It's a book about the need for understanding, understanding ourselves, understanding what motivates our action, understanding what money really is. So this is very comprehensive. This second edition, There Are No Enemies. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Mann, and uh, why you decided to uh, publish yet another book. Uh, Well, I began, uh, you know, I was born in Australia, and um, I'm old enough to remember the Second World War. And um, during that war, uh, and also my father was in the First World War, so I felt that um, that war was totally unnecessary, and however, that human beings needed ways to uh, organize their lives so that they didn't resort to war all the time. And so that was my guiding uh, principle through, uh, through my whole life, that uh, it was uh, very difficult to um, try to understand how this uh, happened. And so in my studies through universities in Australia and here and uh, I uh, started to study philosophy and then went all the way back to, um, you know, our uh, belief systems and our, our really true understanding that we all belong in this world and religions are, uh, every religion has its own path and every religion uh, is valid in its own way. And I joined an organization called uh, Unity and Diversity and their guiding light is... Um, you know, spirit is one power for many. So um, I finally, uh, going back to Aristotle and organic nature uh, and the significance of the conscience, uh, I've come to the conclusion that uh, we we will be able to extricate ourselves from all of these difficulties. Uh, we have to understand, first of all, that we, we are able to, um, you know, um, take charge of our own lives each one of us but we have to think very deeply and at this particular moment in time we have to study the roots of democracy we have to understand democracy and we we have to um, understand what money really is now so those are the things that are really significant for the world um, at the moment Um, and um, so because money is only uh, a servant um, for human beings, and we, um, in the last couple of centuries, have turned it into something of a god, 
and people can justify anything um, by saying, oh, I did it for the money. <laughs> but really, uh, everybody needs to go back to their own conscience. And if their own conscience tells them that their actions are harming others, then they need to think uh, twice about uh, what they are doing. And this applies to people in all walks of, all walks of life. And then we are trying to develop, well, some of us have lived in democracy uh, all of our lives, and um, there are now some problems uh, with democracy. In Australia, it's more like an egalitarian democracy, where people have, there's not a whole lot of difference between um, the lowest paid person and the highest paid person and um, that that is not the case in the United States right now and so a lot of the difficulties in the United States um, in this last year or so uh, has been the problem with uh, extreme wealth uh, in the society and also extreme poverty. That's not what democracy is all about. The Oxford English Dictionary says that a democracy is a social state in which all have equal right without hereditary or arbitrary difference in rank or privilege. And we have big differences now in uh, the money situation and that has to be um, addressed. And it, it can be addressed if we all um, start thinking about our conscience, our particular place in life, what we decide to do with our lives. You talk about the law of proportionality, and that's what you're focusing on just talking about this uh, money situation and democracy. Yes. yes. When, you look at, uh, when you look at the world and you look at all of the different species in the world, there is a proportion between like the smallest person, for instance, and the largest person. And when you talk about a human being, there's a law of proportionality that um, affects those that, those, uh, that species called humans. And you can take any other creatures in the world, dogs, cats, animals, trees, anything that you like, and there is a law of proportionality that goes with that particular species. And when we take that law of proportionality and apply it to human beings and then look in an organic way at money, then we have to bring money into a harmony with organic nature. So we have to say, okay, there's only a certain amount of money that needs to be handled, needs to be controlled by each individual conscience. And each individual conscience, and say you stay in a country like America, the average person maybe makes about 50,000 a year. Well then, the law, if you apply the law of proportionality, to money, then there has to be some kind of an upper limit that people can apply to that particular conscience. You can say a million dollars and somebody said, oh, that's not enough. Well, two million dollars for the top person in this uh, society and say, you know, ten or twenty thousand dollars for the lowest. But that's how, that's the range that people need to work in concerning money. And our, our conscience and organic nature really demands that money be brought into harmony with how organic nature really works. So this is the toughest thing, or one of the very tough things uh, about this book, because what it is saying that 
it is not fair, it is not right, it is inorganic for some people to control because money is only a servant, money is not a possession, Nobody, money is just a piece of paper, if you take it in a desert it will fly away. And so there's something inorganic and wrong with one conscience, one person having control of enormous amounts of money while there are other people in the world who are starving. And if you have a really good and fine democracy then, and you have government of the people, by the people and for the people, then all of those people in that democracy are entitled to a basic living wage and there, has, there needs to be a cap on the uppermost limits and people can be rewarded. You know, people, they don't work for money. People don't go out and do marvellous deeds for money. They do marvellous deeds for ideas like Bill Gates and, you know, and even Rockefeller and Carnegie and all of those things. They had marvellous ideas. And they presented those ideas, and along with those ideas came lots of money. Well, that one conscience is entitled to a, to a certain amount of that money, but not all of it. And so beyond a certain amount, there's amount that needs to go into, I'm calling it, just, you know, because other people are going to follow me and, and you know, improve on this. And I'm calling it a community enhancement fund. And it's not really like taxation because we have contaminated the word taxation. People don't want to be taxed. They don't feel it's fair. But everybody needs to take a pride in their government and feel, look, you know, this is my government. This is my country. I belong here. You know, everybody belongs in this world. And so it's only fair that I have control over a certain amount. And beyond that, it goes into a community enhancement fund. Take Greece, for instance. Here is a little tiny country. It's the, it's the, Greece is the basis of our democracy. Greece, you know, from Greece we got all of the tenets of, of our democracy. But the Greeks at the moment are not able to handle um, the god of money. <laughs> and so Greece needs some help from people with enormous amounts of money. But it's a, it's a mindset. It's how people feel and, 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 and how they understand their role. Uh, in the world and people feel at the moment that they are entitled to all of this money that their efforts may have uh, brought but when you have a person who has millions and billions of dollars sitting in a gated community and they drive along the streets they have to remember they're driving along the streets that are paved by people they're living in houses that are built by people they're, they're talking on telephones that are built by people and so everybody in the world has a right to have um, a fair, you know, a chance to live properly. And that's, the, that's what democracy is all about. But right now it's a conflict and a misunderstanding about the real role of money. And once people start to think really deeply about that philosophically, not politically, because both of the political parties are, uh, are in difficulties uh, right now because they're both, um, you know, they're going on to these super PACs and they're trying to influence people. A democracy uh, is, is government of the people, by the people, and for the people. It's, it's not uh, by the people if people do not vote. So uh, in Australia we have um, compulsory voting, and compulsory is not a good word uh, for the United States because they don't like the word compulsory, but you can have something like, you know, you need to vote. You vote or else you pay money into an education fund. 
and that will bring the young people out because they don't want to pay the money and it will get people to think about who they're electing to their government and and it, and they will then have a pride in their government because they are voting for their government it's their government there's no there should be no conflict between people and their government people shouldn't hate their government people vote for the people who are in their government and it's a pride people need to take pride in their government and this book is just sort of saying look uh, just think at the think of things a little differently from what you do take Money is a servant. It's not a god. And money shouldn't, and, and, it's, and as far as voting is concerned and money, there needs to be, other people have said this too, not just me, there, need to, there needs to be just a certain amount of money attached to each vote. You know, one person, one vote, and plus one token of money, which is the same token for everybody. So if you have... Uh, you know, whatever number of people you have voting, then you multiply that by whatever you have decided to put into the voting thing. And then you have something organically that is close to one person, one vote. And that's government of the people. And it's for the people when everybody is taken care of. And it's by the people when everybody gets out there and votes. And, And we need to handle this money situation because if... All those chunks of money on the top were sliced off. And, you know, rewards can be given to people like Bill Gates already has his reward and Buffett and things. They have their reward by people knowing that they are doing wonderful things for their community. That's a reward too. Money is not the only reward there is in life. And we have started to think that it is, but it's not. You've mentioned the word conscience a number of times, and you also say that conscience is the great equalizer for human beings. Uh, Give us some more on that. Every person in the world is born with a conscience. Our conscience is our connection to the divinity or to God or to the great spirit of the universe. Everybody has a conscience. We all know when something is wrong, we know it's wrong. If somebody hurts another human being we know it's wrong and we can look at our neighbors and we know that our neighbors also know that it's wrong and that's the communal conscience and following on from that communal conscience there is also a global conscience and that makes us a global we are global now this is a global civilization and each one of us deep down knows the difference between right and wrong really when it comes to harming other people we all have deep down a reverence for life and we have a sense of what equality really means. And so that's what we need to cultivate among ourselves. And of course, I haven't brought out the thought of that women are equal to men. Women ha- also have a conscience and it's, women need to have equality because they are, they are, because of their womb, they are very close to God. They're close because they give birth to people. And so we need to have equality of men and women and we need to listen if we all listen to our conscience we would understand that we have a communal conscience and we have a global conscience and when we all realize that there are no enemies there can be no enemies and we we all have the capability of together affecting the kind of life that we all would like to have in this world without all the anguish and pain and fighting that we have now mostly over money And if we put money in its proper place as a servant of humankind instead of a god, instead of the god of all of our gods, we're making money a god. But if we take it off that golden pedestal, 
we'll find that we will all be a whole lot happier. We'll all understand each other better because we all know that we all have a conscience, a communal conscience and a global conscience. The title of the book, There Are No Enemies, Second Edition, A Practical Philosophy of Life. And the author is Dr. Mary Anita Mann. Dr. Mann, tell us how to get your book. Uh, well, I have a website, www.maryanitaman, M-A-R-Y, Anita, A-N-N-E-E-T-A, man.com. It's also all over the place on um, Amazon.com or just, you know, it's everywhere. It's uh, got an ISBN number, so it's everywhere, but you can also get it uh, from my website. Thank you, Dr. Mann, for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you very much for having me. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hey, moms, juggle your hats with our mom of many hats, Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Moms are always juggling their hats. And sometimes it's easy for moms to forget their value when life calls for switching from role to role. But the ability to juggle so many hats is priceless. She is never just a mom. She's a decision maker, coordinator, creative genius, counselor, a friend, an authority, and a leader in her household. On Mom of Many Hats Radio, we'll be talking about the hats that you as a mom juggle. We'll acknowledge your importance and support in helping you and all moms to not just defend your value, but to believe in your value. For more on the show and Angie, check out her website, azmamamanyhats.com. She is a strong woman. She is powerful. She is wonderful. And she is valuable. Mom of Many Hats with Angie Mazzillo. Friday afternoons at 5 Eastern, 4 Central on the Mom to Mom Network. Girlfriend It is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriended principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Splintered Souls, a Catherine Kane Mystery. And the author is Cynthia Lynn. And Cindy joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Cindy. Hi, Steve. How are you today? Well, I'm doing great. Uh, you're going to take us on quite a journey here, a <laughs> suspenseful, riveting story, as you put it. This is really a murder mystery, a serial murder mystery with some uh, very, I guess, contemporary uh, twists and turns because we're, we're also talking about transgendered, uh, well, in this case, a transgendered woman. Yes. 
Yes, and she disappears from an Illinois locked psychiatric unit. Also going on, there's a unconnected of serial murders, but is it unconnected is the big question. And of course, uh, this nurse, Catherine Kane, she wants to find out what's going on, and she's seeking, as you put it, a dangerous truth. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so this one is, uh, well, it's uh, kind of a wild one. Uh, you know, this where did this come from? Where's all this come from, Cindy? Well, several years ago, I met a transgendered woman at the uh, gym I attended, and this was before I was in psychiatric nursing. And at that time, there were many um, very rude and inappropriate uh, remarks and jokes, um, eye-rolling, um, laughing, and uh, just very inappropriate, cruel names that were directed toward her. And she didn't do anything wrong. She didn't respond in any way. She just continued with her workout, and she was very quiet. Um, I myself didn't participate in any of this, but inwardly I didn't understand why someone would do this and um, felt a little bit anxious. And that one time I brought my teenage daughter with me, and we went into the – after we worked out, we went into the gym and uh, the – shower room and locker room and my daughter uh, went into the shower and this woman went into the shower next to her. Well, for some reason I panicked and I thought, oh, my daughter, I've got to get her out of there. Why? I don't know. Um, my lack of understanding, my lack of education. I just, uh, I mean, she was a woman now. I mean, what's she going to do? And she hadn't um, expressed, you know, any kind of poor behavior. Um, so um, I did inwardly have some feelings about this um, issue. And then many years later, I became a psychiatric nurse and was working on the unit. And I was um, fortunate enough to be able to work with a transgendered woman. And at this time, I had done a lot of research. I had read a lot of stories um, about uh, the, the topic, um, and I learned that something goes awry during the mother's early uh, stages of pregnancy related to the neurological sex or the brain sex of the fetus which means once the child is born, their physicality doesn't determine their inner self. So it's not a choice, and it is a biological occurrence, um, and, but many, many people don't understand this. And, of course, at this time, it brought back the memory of many, many years ago uh, when I had met this other woman at, at this gym, and I was in another state where I had lived. Um, and uh, talking with other people, I realized that I wasn't going to, you can't make someone understand something, and especially if they have strong beliefs about things. So in my frustration, I just started journaling, and I was writing about this woman. She was just such a sad, um, sad woman. I mean, and she was just a woman just like I was. 
And in my journaling, um, my fingers just magically took me into a mystery. (laughs) And uh, I don't know how that happened. They just kept working on their own. Um, Maybe because I just love to to, uh, read mysteries and I had always wanted to write a book. Although at that time I had no intention. I mean, I wasn't thinking of this being a book. Um, It just magically occurred where uh, she was, her, her name is Carrie Sullivan, um, in the in the story, and she was uh, uh, taken from the hospital or escaped from a locked psychiatric unit. Um, but that's how the book book started, as, uh, as me journaling about my own experiences and my own feelings uh, about this poor, saddened woman. And as she is described in the book is exactly how she looked and exactly how I, Catherine Kane, <laughs> behaved um, with her. After that point, of course, the mystery begins. So Catherine Kane is based kind of on your view of things and the way you approach problem solving. Y- yes, correct. Yes. So here we have Catherine Sullivan, who is missing. Uh, She may have escaped. She may have been abducted, but also going on at the same time. There's a series of single brunette women murdered. Yes. And who else is? She doesn't know. um, At this time, Catherine Kane um, needs... It feels the need to uh, find Carrie because she's been a single parent for 16 years and she thinks that she needs to take care of everybody and um, doesn't trust anybody. She has to, she has to be responsible for the world. <laughs> and uh, in speaking with Carrie, when she did talk, when she did talk to her on the hospital unit, she um, told her that everything was going to be okay and she was going to help her. And um, she just felt responsible for for looking for her then. Um, and then it, uh, as the story goes on, uh, we will learn that there are these other murders that are occurring of brunette women um, who who are murdered brutally and they're they're all brunettes and their hair is cut off and 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 their head is shaved and they are found uh like that in dumpsters now carrie is brunette and so is catherine not that that there's a lot of brunette women in the world so that doesn't mean necessarily that they are going to be involved but for some reason catherine Oh, she just had to get herself involved. Um, so she started um, looking for her. Um, she went to her home in Chicago. And uh, at the time, there were police there um, because they were looking for her because she was missing. And, of course, she got caught. <laughs> And she uh, went with her best friend, Shelby, who is a chatterbox, Shelby. And um, uh, the police um, found her and said, you don't belong here. This is, this is uh, uh, I take care of the 
policeman, Mark Malone, who was caught the case, um, told her, I take care of the uh, people when they're not in the hospital unit. You take care of them when they're in the hospital unit. So she ran out of there, and um, of course she didn't stop. She continued to, to search. Then you also have a special agent, Patrick McKenna? Correct. Uh, Patrick McKenna, Special Agent Patrick McKenna, is uh, with the FBI, and he is put in cold cases and has been for six months uh, since the death of his, uh, death of, from cancer of his wife. Um, he didn't feel that he was safe out in the field. And he's working on a cold case um, from three years ago about a woman with the same signature. Um, she was murdered in a different way, but she, the same signature with the, the brunette hair and the um, shaved scalp. Um, these women were dressed in men's clothing, and they became known as the Red Ribbon Murder. Killer would put a red ribbon tied very nicely, not choking, just tied very nicely around their necks. And... Uh, he was working on that case, and then um, at the same time that Carrie disappeared from the hospital, uh, another murder was found in with the same signature. And the police went to Patrick and just said, I just want to let you know about this. That's the same signature. So he started getting himself involved as well. Big question. Could it be... Carrie Sullivan. Right. Right. So there are a lot of questions. Could it be Carrie or someone else? How is she involved in all of this? And uh, um, there's a time when Catherine and her friend Shelby go to visit Shelby's parents in San Diego and while there, Catherine sees in the paper um, a story about this woman who um, owns a wake shop, and she looks very, very much like her missing patient, Carrie, only an older version of her. So she talks Shelby into going into the shop with her and meets this woman who is very um, brash and, um, uh, gosh, she's just, just very... Um, cold and and um, rude and um, she is wearing clothing, very inappropriate clothing for the weather. Her dress, she wears a long dress up to the neck, long sleeves and it's 90 degrees out. And uh, she, Catherine and Shelby started questioning her about, you know, the wigs and what do you, what do you use you know, the hair for and for patients who have had chemotherapy or alopecia or hair loss. And um, she wasn't interested in Shelby's hair because it was blonde, but she was very interested in uh, Catherine's hair, which was long and brunette. And um, Catherine and Shelby couldn't wait to get out of there. <laughs> they were getting a little bit uh, nervous. So they they escaped, and so all of this is adding up to more and more of you know how you know the brunette hair, um, the wig shop, 
Carrie's um, disappearance. She looks like this woman, um, although she's much younger. Um, so these are, are um, questions that Catherine is forming in her mind. And later that evening, she uh, goes to bed, and she has a horrible nightmare about um, she sees a woman who is a brunette. Um, she's a little bit older. She's a single mother, and she is walking through a grocery store parking lot with groceries in the middle of the night after working second shift. And in her dream, Catherine sees her being abducted, and she feels and senses everything about her um, as if it were herself. She um, smells the chloroform the abductor used. She smells the dampness in the um, place where she was taken. Uh, she hears the screams and feels the pain and um, knows that she is being this woman is being murdered by this same um, antagonist who has been killing these other women. Uh, when she wakes up, she wakes up in a cold sweat, her heart is pounding, and um, she's terrified. She, for some reason, she knows that this is going to happen. It, this is a premonition. And this is the beginning of Catherine's psychic dreams. Um, she continues to have more, and in my next story, she continues to have more. <laughs> and um, so, this is there's going to be a sequel. Yes, this the, yes, there will be a sequel, and um, I plan on writing the uh, Catherine King series. Oh, right. And in each, each series will be a psychiatric issue. Well, you, that is my. You say this. You hope your readers will enjoy the mystery as well as have a better understanding of mental illness and the biological complexities of neurological sex of those afflicted with the anomaly in the LGBT community as mm -hmm. a whole. So, Cindy, Splintered Souls. Cindy is the author's. Cindy Lynn at Splintered Souls, a Catherine Kane mystery. Cindy, tell us how to get your book. Well, I first of all, I thank you very much for, for listening to me rambling on, and um, I have a great passion for, for these issues. Um, you can find my book at authorhouse.com or amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, um, also at my um, website, uh, cynthialynn.com, or... Um, HTTP Cynthia Lynn dot authors express. I'm also on Twitter and I am also on Facebook. Cindy, thanks for being with us on Author Talk. Well, thank you very much. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Whether you're four and a half or 100, you can retrain your brain. Learning RX, the radio show, is on toginet.com, Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Central Time with Martin Kruger. Learning RX programs are quick, they're efficient, they're life changing, and they're permanent. Unlike tutoring, cognitive skills training, or brain training, 
targets the root issue causing learning struggles. Time and money spent on chronic tutoring is a clear signal of cognitive skill deficiency. That's where Learning RX comes in. Call today, 903-617-6899. 903-617-6899. Then join us for the show here every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. And take advantage of the power it holds to improve your life. There are so many brain training issues that Learning RX can help you with. It's not a product, it's an experience. So join us for Learning RX, the radio show with Martin Kruger. Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Cash Under the Mattress, The Ultimate Estate and Crisis Handbook. And the authors are Philip Giroux and Sally Lamb. And Philip and Sally join us now on Author Talk. Hello, Sally. Hi there, Steve. Good to have you with us. And hello, Philip. Steve, how are you? Well, great to have you with us. This is a, a very timely book for preparedness, and you have a very unique approach. Let me read what you have written, just uh, some thoughts to kind of get everyone focused. Cash Under the Mattress is a handbook that can be used to fill in the blanks of your life. It has many uses, either to reconstruct your life after a catastrophe to derail family conflicts upon your death through misunderstanding certain wishes of parents or relatives as to how they want their estate distributed. You also say it has a twofold purpose, and it will restart your life in the event of a natural disaster, and it provides a format for the user, for the user to write down personal wishes for this transfer of the user's estate. So, well, we certainly understand... Natural disasters, catastrophes. Sally, you have uh, experienced that firsthand, haven't you? Yes, I have. I am a um, born and raised um, Southern California girl, and I live in the foothills above Los Angeles, and we have uh, natural um, wildfires that are quite huge. And three times I've faced evacuation, and uh, know what it means when minutes count and you must go in and get whatever you can and leave and as after the first encounter I began to realize how much I needed to prepare and so that um, gave me uh, a lot of thought 
and how to approach this book is how how quickly you have to get something and grab it and go. And Philip, obviously, sometimes folks die unexpectedly, and wouldn't it be great if they had everything in one place written down? Yeah, it would be. I mean, I think that's part of the aftermath of, of that the sort of scenario where you know you don't know where to run to first. And um, though a lot of the you know, basic uh, items in estate planning are taken care of by professionals, you know, lawyers and accountants and stuff. There's so much that's under the radar screen that we're not familiar with until after we have to figure out what to do with it. It's sort of the what would mom do if she was here scenario. And um, with my parents, they were very well organized in a gold and a metal silver box, but the all the other minutiae and all the other sorts of items that they had accumulated that we all do through our life, um, some were jotted down, some weren't. And it was through the, just talking to them about it because they called me up to their um, home in a retirement village up along the uh, coast of uh, Ventura and Oxnard. And we, I remember sit, standing in the kitchen, leaning against the counter, listening to what they had. And they thought, you know, we better start sharing this with you. And as I say, the, the the obvious items were all there, all listed and all accounted for. But when I started saying, what about that? And what about the grandfather clock and this beautiful piece of um, of uh, porcelain and the artwork? And they're going, well, you know, it was just like, well, gee, what do we do about that? So that sort of started me thinking uh, about putting something together for them other than just their instructions that would be in an easy location that they could have and that we could have once uh, they passed. Well, the news is filled with natural disasters happening around the world, and there's one more element, it seems, now to uh, what might happen in the U.S. and something that, of course, back in 2001, we experienced, uh, at least in New York, with, of course, 9-11. But you never know today what might happen. And again, your resource, your guidebook would be perfect, right, Sally? Yes, I think it would. And, you know, some disasters happen directly to a person, and and sometimes it happens to a friend. And you know, I, I come from a very close family, and so we all are there for each other. But there are many people I know whose family live great distances away, and they they rely on their friends and neighbors to help them. So even if it is simply that they get ill and need to go into some kind of, of uh, facility for a, a period of time, somebody needs to know how to how to keep their life running and how to step into their life. It's quite difficult to do that. So this is not only uh, for disaster, life, and death, but also just um, short-term um, problems as well. Philip, uh, why did you select the format that you used in the book? Well, in talking to people about, I mean, it's, let's face it, it's not an easy topic. <laughs> no one likes to talk about death and dying, and uh, though we're all going to, you know, we think we're all immortal, but we're not. But we're certainly all going to have to face that, and certainly our, our family and uh, friends are definitely going to have to face our passing. And um, the format, 
I just wanted, well, in talking to Sally, we wanted to make something that was very approachable, very friendly. Uh, because you say, geez, you want to jot down things you want to happen after your death. People go, I, you know, I'm not going to do that. I, I, I don't want to talk about that subject. But yet, we felt that if it was very easy to do, there wasn't a lot of writing to going on that would be going on. Checklist, yes, no, um, easy enough, doesn't take up a lot of time. It's something that will, you can bring other members of the family in and sit down and, and discuss it. It's, it's not a... Uh, um, um, a format for uh, confrontation or anything like that. It's just look, this is it's just this simple. So that that's what we tried to do. We tried to make the book embrace, you know, or embrace the book and make the book almost like a uh, a friend in a way. You know, sit down, tell me what you want, and that's how it evolved. Right, and there there is no legal advice involved. We're, we're not lawyers. We're, you know, we, we just want people to get the information down. And, and one of our mottos is this um, quote we have at the front of the book. Uh, Confu- Confucius said, the faintest ink is better than the strongest memory. And so often people think that they remember, but they don't remember. So if you write it down, you've got it. Nobody has to remember anything. It's there. And Sally, how did you keep the book under 200 pages? <laughs> <laughs> we did a lot of editing. You know, we, we both worked full time and we, we would gather about once a week for years and years and, and, you know, we'd write it and then we'd edit it and cut it. And, and finally, in the final cuts, we just said, let's just keep it as simple as possible, as if as, as if somebody could just sit down and say, I could do this. And that's, the availability is part of the issue. Is It's not, you're not sitting with a lawyer, you're, you're sitting with yourself or your family or your friends. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's so true. You know, if you, if you present this, this book that looks like volumes, it's, it's, it's sort of like looking at, do I really want to read Atlas Shrugged? Well, you know, it's 1,100, 1,200 pages. <laughs> Once you get into it, great, but yeah. God, that's a mountain to climb, right? So I'm looking at, and we're talking over the years, well, let's just keep it 200 pages or less. I think that's, you know, you look, pick up a novel, it's 200 pages, you know, it's it's uh, the time from flying to L.A. to New York. So we thought, well, just keep it simple, keep it straightforward, and, and reduce the amount of verbiage. And explanation because that's a turnoff for me too. You got to read about it, read about it. Just you know, the little opening paragraph invites you into the chapter, and then you sit there and check it off, and then you can leave it, come back. It's still there. It's not overwhelming, and I think that's that. That was our goal. And it allows the user this ability to take responsibility for their actions and decisions about their right. life. It's a it's a great great message that you're sending. Right, right. That's that's another message. That's another um, exclamation point. Is it takes gives people the responsibility, their own responsibility for what they write down, what they're able to do, and make those make those decisions for themselves. Well, it's broken down into several chapters. Uh, the first one is titled Personal, The Nitty Gritty. And boy, today do we have lots of nitty gritty info, don't we? Mm-hmm. With all these yep. cards and logins and passwords and what else? 
I mean, there's you name it, ATM, credit cards, uh, frequent flyer accounts, your military service, uh, your history of employment, uh, certificates that you may have, licenses that you may need. Um, goes on and on and on. And I love what you're doing with the next chapter, Sally. A family, your inner circle. We might uh, just kind of, that is something very creative and, and really kind of puts everything into context, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, and, you know, families are quite complicated nowadays. It's not always just the, the, the people that you were raised with, but it's the extended family, and it's important when people are scattered across the world, certainly across the United States, um, listing everybody. Uh, again, if, if somebody were injured and uh, a friend or a neighbor had to contact everybody, well, maybe you have their names listed by the phone, or maybe there's a phone book, but maybe there isn't. Uh, so this gives you that uh, uh, ability to access who's who. Jay, uh, Steve? Yes. Yeah, one thing I want to um, note is what makes, I think, um, Cash Under the Mattress so unique is that we list 12 ways to avoid conflict. And, um, you know, a lot of, the, lot of these situations um, that happen with the passing of a, a parent uh, or family member is there's people, you know, the family see certain items differently, see certain situations uh, in a different light. And, you know, I want that uh, picture of the, of, of the figs and sitting in a porcelain bowl, or I want that uh, lamp, or I want my, you know, grandma's um, rocking chair. And if beforehand you, you know, jot all this stuff down, label it, talk to people about it, maybe draw straws, certain ways to, to preempt that problem, then you don't, have to, you don't have to confront it. You don't have to have a family that's all of a sudden split right. and people start hating one another because these things weren't ironed out before. And that's I think, sets this book apart from many books of similar content. Another chapter is titled Property, Where's All Your Stuff? Another Business and Financial Affairs, Purse Strings and Other Things. Yes, Sally, you were going to add. Well, I was just going to say uh, just um, that Philip and I have known each other um, since we were teenagers, so our families knew each other. It's been about four years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, We, uh, the the sequence of events, Philip's father died, my father died, his mother died, my mother died. And we looked at each other and said, you know, we aren't the first people to encounter so many issues. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's start putting this down. Maybe we can help somebody else with right. the, the, the sorts of things that we encountered. And then, of course, we expanded beyond our own experience, but that was very much the impetus for putting together a, a simple format um, and the conflict uh, resolution page is, I think, invaluable, uh, as well as I believe the whole chapter on how to put on a funeral. Exactly. I mean, it's, yeah, that's a, a lot whole, of connections there. That's a whole chapter uh, titled Funerals, The Last Hurrah. You also have a chapter 
titled Medical from Head to Toe, and another one, Insurance, Got You Covered, and another one, Legal, Dot the I's and Cross the T's. Well, you just about covered everything, that's I guess. That's Sally, that's Sally. <laughs> <laughs> that's Sally, yeah. Well, yeah, for so, sure, for sure. Give us a, you have some time, we've got some time here. I'll, why don't we start with you, Sally? Uh, give us a closing thought, and then we'll turn to Philip to uh, close this out. Well, I, I basically believe that this could become part of what I, I call uh, a personal emergency kit. Getting ready for just about anything that can happen. Natural disasters, death in the family, your own death. Uh, you know, you, you've got to be sure that everybody knows what your wishes are as well. And by writing it down, you take the load uh, off of other people. You give them a gift that they would be so thankful for uh, and so appreciative of. It's like saying, I love you, and I want to make sure that you don't have to be burdened by um, things you don't you don't know about. And, and it fills in the blanks. And I just think it is um, a wonderful way to... Take the responsibility for your life and make sure that uh, you've written it down and got it covered. Philip, give us uh, a closing comment on Cash Under the Mattress, the Ultimate Estate and Crisis Handbook. Well, I think it has legs to span generations. And, um, you know, we're all going to face this in one way or another. And, you know, our the impetus, the impetus of this is we're trying to, you know, prevent pain, you know, prevent problems and and I, I really believe that this book keeps families together and it has as I say a dual purpose it rebuilds the lives after a crisis and it also prepares everybody for you know based on uh, someone's legacy you know we all have to confront the issues of death and dying okay but too late could arrive as soon as tomorrow and we have to be prepared Philip, who would you say that your readers are or the users of this book? The 74 million baby boomers, their children and their parents would be uh, beneficial from reading this book and having this book at their side. Philip, tell us how to get your book. You can go to cashunderthematressbook.com and there'll be links there to Author House, Amazon.com and Barnes & Noble. Well, thank you, Philip, for being with us. Thank you, Sally Lamb. You're welcome. And thank you. Philip Giroux, thank you so much. Steve, thank you for your time. <laughs>